Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Welcome back, prom party. Oh, this is this is an interesting experience, isn't it? Oh, I mean, it's going to be an ex- interesting experience for you, and I'm thrilled. This, this was this was this was fun. I had fun. I'm glad that you had fun. I love when we watch a movie that kind of pushes Harmony out of her comfort zone a little bit, at least in terms of Harmony didn't even know this movie existed before the show, and that is uh, usually my favorite kind of episode that we have. Oh yeah, that setup of like. What do you know about the movie BAPS? And my response is, what is BAPS? Yes. Uh, this is going to be brilliant. Uh, so we are talking about the criminally underseen and ridiculously underrated film BAPS today. And fortunately, we are not alone because the last thing anyone on the world needs is two white people talking about a black movie on a podcast. Let's not do that. But we have... Just one of my favorite writers over at Slash Film. So Livy Scott is a writer at Slash Film, at Inverse, at ScreenSpec, and a general enjoyer of hot people, which, you know, makes her perfect to talk about this movie. So please give Livy a warm welcome by clapping in your car or wherever you are listening to this episode and give us a warm welcome to Livy Scott. Hello. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here and more importantly for picking a movie that the second you suggested this, I was like, I don't know anyone else who's going to feel really passionate (laughs) about wanting to talk about BAPS and I am thrilled. Oh my gosh, I know. It's so weird to bring this film up because it's either like a like a sense of confusion, like a furrowed brow. It's like, oh, I've never heard about that movie, or I can't believe you're bringing up this movie right now. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? We're bringing it up. That's what we're doing, and I'm excited about it. (laughs) Me too, as we should. So if you had to tell somebody what this movie is about who has never heard of it, seen it at all, what would be like your quick elevator pitch for BAPS? Okay, I would say BAPS is a late 90s quasi satire that stars Halle Berry and Natalie DeSalle Reed as two they've been described as clueless they've been described as trashy I prefer the term clueless because trashy it's just it it kind of gives misogynoir a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so they're clueless homegirls from Atlanta who really want to become video girls so that they can open their dream I guess business. It's like half salon, half, half, half like soup kitchen kind of thing, which I, it's, you know, there's no way that's profitable. But anyway, 
they go to LA to try and become video girls and they end up scamming this rich white millionaire played by Martin Landau who literally becomes obsessed with them and they live happily ever after without giving too much away. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't be obsessed with them? Right? Yeah, that's very much how I feel about them as well. They're they're just so wonderful. And I'm glad that you brought up the different ways that this movie gets described because we'll definitely dive into that like in a more deeper context. But I think a part of why BAPS kind of gets the bad rap is because people are like, oh, they're just trashy. When in reality, they're not. They're just clueless. You're just applying <laughs> trashy to them because they're black. Um, and that's not acceptable or okay by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but they are so much fucking fun to watch. <laughs> oh my God, I know. The bidet scene alone. Oh my God. <laughs> kills me. There's it kills me. so much good slapstick comedy in this movie that yes. just doesn't get the credit it deserves. It is, uh, I can't wait to dive in. So <laughs> Libby, when, when did you first see this movie or, or can you remember when you first saw this movie? Yeah, I can, because it was fairly recently. Um, I feel so sad in my heart that it took me so long. Um, I think it was either 2020 or 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, I was kind of taking it upon myself to explore the, like, Black-led films that I had missed in my childhood, but specifically, like black female-led films, so I was going through, like, Love and Basketball, Brown Sugar, and then I stumbled across BAPS, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> I think I had seen pictures of Halle Berry, like, on Pinterest in mm-hmm. in costume, and I, I had always been like, what is this? What is, what is this from? And I finally watched it, and it's funny because I use Letterboxd religiously, um, And there were less than like a hundred or maybe like less than a thousand views of the film on there, which I was... That's wild. Isn't that really weird? Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm hyperbolizing, but I remember it being like a really low number. Um, And the reviews were mixed on there as well. But for the most part, like I was finding these reviews by like black women who were like, you know, this should be a cult classic, essentially. Yeah. And so I, I think I rented it (laughs) and I was like, I was laughing, I was crying. And then I adopted the same attitude. Just like, why? Where has this been all my life? Uh, Mm -hmm. I love that. I I love the experience of finding something that, you know, in your heart of hearts, this would have spoken to me when I was younger and, you know, it sucks that it took me this long, but hey, I have it now and oh, yes. that f- can feel really validating as well. Um, mm-hmm. I have two BAP stories, which I don't know why I have two, but I do. So the first one <laughs> is that uh, the first time I saw this movie uh, was the summer after my high school. So that would have been 2008, summer of 2008. And I was working um, at like a s- shitty summer job at like the Lake County Courthouse <laughs> in Illinois, like outside Chicagoland. <laughs> And one of my coworkers was a woman named Mickey. And we ended up like carpooling to work every day. She was a lot older than me, but she was really cool. And Mickey and I, every day on the drive to work, would always see like, you know, it's a commuter thing. You all see the same cars kind of every day. Mm-hmm. And there's a woman whose license plate was like BAP 25 or something like that. And it was clearly <laughs> one that she bought. Like she bought this. This was not like random letters. 
And I kept seeing that every day. And one day I finally look at my friend Mickey and I was like, do you ever notice that we see BAP every single day? And she was like, yeah, I don't, I think it's a reference to this movie. And I was like, what? (laughs) She's like, yeah, there's also a character in it named Mickey. That's why I know about this movie. And I was like, okay. So then I went and rented it and I was like, wait, this movie rules. Halle Berry's in this. Why has no one ever talked about this? And that's sort of where it left. And then, you know, things kind of went away. I kind of forgot about it. I thought about it again a couple of years later in college um, so <laughs> this is going to be like so stupid, uh, but it's fine. Do y'all remember when Laura Bell Bundy did her show can tell Brown videos on YouTube with the I believe hair salon? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you've shown me these. Yes. Yeah. So while obviously language comes from a lot of places, the show can tell Brown sketches are what sort of popularized like occur. I'm not going to trill my tongue and sound stupid. We're not doing it. But, like, it's kind of where O'Kerr, like, really picked up steam. And then, obviously, like, Laganja Stranja and then Cardi B, like, really pushed it into the culture. Mm-hmm. But I was in college in a theater program. And Laura Bell Bundy is a big deal in the world of theater. So my whole, like, <laughs> my whole school was watching these like, can you believe what Laura Bell Bundy is doing? What is this? And then someone else in like the grad program was like, she wants to be BAP so bad. And I was like, someone else knows what this movie is. And then we made our entire theater department watch it. And half the half the crew was like, this is amazing. And the other half was like, I don't understand. And I was like, we all know why you don't understand. And that's fine. We're just going to move on from there. Uh, so yeah, those are my BAP stories. I hope you enjoyed them. <laughs> I loved that. It's a very interesting, almost like uh, like metric of measurement mm-hmm. to like show someone, and if they get it, they get it, and if they don't, it's like, yeah, I get why you don't. Mm-hmm. I see why you don't. Get mm-hmm. it. <laughs> like it's pretty, and it's pretty easy too. Like it's yeah. If someone's like, I don't understand what's happening. Why is this fun? I'm like, that answers a lot of questions about you, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> So Harmony, as somebody who had never even heard of this, when you started kind of diving in and seeing what this was all about, do you remember what your initial thoughts were before you even got to sit down and watch the movie? I went in pretty, knowing nothing really. I was BJ's like, don't even look it up. I'm not even going to tell you. Let's just go for it. <laughs> um, and then she showed, like, she eventually shows me the trailer and I go, wait, so it's, it's down to earth? Wait, it's Romeo and Michelle? I love this. I love it both these things. It <laughs> and is Romeo and Michelle. Yeah, it, it's the it's the same year as Romeo and Michelle. It's got the same like kind of retro futurism, Y two K fabrics and designs and things mm-hmm, like that. The two mm-hmm. best friends, physical comedy. Like it's it's pretty it's pretty Romeo and Michelle. So like I'm 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 very much a fan. <laughs> Definitely. And so Babs comes out in the '90s, and it comes out during a really interesting point. I think in cinema history. So Harmony, what sort of context do you want to bring to the table as like the film landscape of of BAPS? All right. So I am by no means an expert on um, the 90s wave of black cinema and why it's amazing, but I'm, I'm going to do my best here. So <laughs> as far as our This Ends at Prom alum is concerned, this is the same year as Titanic. This is the same year as Scream 2, which we just did. This is the same year as Cinderella. And that means that Natalie DeSell reed is also in that as one of my favorite characters, the Stepsisters. So she's having a great year. 
and it's the same year as Romeo and Michelle, which unfortunately also does not perform super duper well, despite the fact that it has a friend in it. But in the grander landscape of things, like this is this is a coming of age adjacent film. I think that uh, seeing where we were at the start of the decade to where how we got here in terms of black cinema is really fascinating because in 1989, you have Spike Lee breakthrough with Do the Right Thing. 1989 is also when you have like NWA and Public Enemy becoming these unignorable icons in like the culture of America. With that, you start to see Boys in the Hood or Friday, which are telling very specific stories, but they're critically acclaimed. They are very well revered. And you have a lot of things that that carry on that tradition, but come the mid-90s, the, the closer to the late 90s, things are things are getting a little more crossover appeal. Things are getting a little sillier. This is the year that we have Blank Man. This is the year after The Nutty Professor. And Eddie Murphy is very different from 1996 to where he was in like 1990 at the start of the decade. Um, because Eddie Eddie from the 80s is very different from Eddie from the 90s. And <laughs> it's true. That's yeah. putting it that's putting it lightly. <laughs> like night and day. Like how do you go from like Eddie Murphy Raw to the Nutty Professor? Like I was literally thinking Raw. I was like, he Oh my god. And going back, like being raised, having been raised on like silly Eddie Murphy, and then going back as an adult to Raw, I was like, what is this? Oh, right. fa- family <laughs> film Eddie Murphy? I mean, it's even one of those things. Um, it, it's a joke that I really love from the Boondocks where one of the characters is talking about how his favorite rapper was Ice Cube and he was afraid he was going to come and like kill his whole family because he was <laughs> so scary. But then one of the kids goes, the guy who makes family films? Exactly. But like, are we there yet? <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of what you see come this period where Black Cinema is getting a little more four quadrant. It's getting a little bit more silly and accessible because up in the early parts of the 90s, like all the white kids like where I grew up were like, oh, yeah, I want to be a tough gangster and listen to gangster rap because I'm a tough white kid from the suburbs. And eventually all of that permeates outside of just wannabe rapper kids from the suburbs. And it just becomes a whole thing in every facet. So I think they try to make these slightly more accessible films. And something BJ pointed out, which I totally could have clocked, is that unfortunately BAPS has quite a bit of rewrites to make it presumably a lot more accessible and a lot less specific. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that I learned that made me... Like, I understand it, but it always is going to make me sad about it, which is that this was written by Troy Beyer. Um, Troy Beyer will appear eventually on the show again when we do uh, Love Don't Cost a Thing, which is the remake of Can't Buy Me Love that she wrote. Um, But this was directed by Robert Townsend, who is... I mean, he's he's a legend, but he's done he, so many things. He did do some rewrites to the script to the point that Troy Beyer has been on record to be like a lot of that movie is kind of unrecognizable to me, and it makes me really sad because I wrote something that meant a lot to me, and then it's got changed. And while no one has ever like directly said what was changed or why things were changed, but I think you're right, Harmony, that it does feel like once we got past like 1996, like. 90, 95, 96 is when things started becoming more for Quadrant and they're trying to appeal to a mass audience. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was like some studio intervention that kind of forced Townsend's hand to make some rewrites. But obviously I was not in the room. I don't know what actually happened and I'm not going to pretend like I do. Pure speculation. 
Yeah, and one other thing that I do want to bring up, because I, I had a memory and I wanted to dislodge it, because this is really specific, is the opening scenes of this movie, I go, oh, they're probably in New York, right? Because that's just what I assume all city movies are. They're either set in Los Angeles or New York or occasionally Chicago. They're not. They're in Atlanta. Technically, they're in Decatur, if we're going to be real specific. Oh, that's right. <laughs> which is which is Atlanta without the um, the reverence of being from Atlanta. Is that yes. is that about right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Nowadays, it's 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 well, it's been gentrified. If I'm going to be real, mm-hmm. so it's it's very posh. It's very you know, people go there to brunch. Oh yeah. It's almost like it's almost on the same level as Buckhead. If you if you guys know where <laughs> Buckhead is, it's very. Um, that's like where all the Marvel stars hang out when they come ah. when they come to like film Marvel movies here. Mm-hmm. Um, so Decatur, but the Decatur of the film is very much like, you know, like soul. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's got some references to like. 70s black exploitation. Rudy Ray Moore pops up for a, a brief cameo, which yeah. is oh, wonderful. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> um, it's something else. Something that I really, really like about this being set in the Dirty South just before the Dirty South starts popping off, though, is that something. Something I had to search because I'm like, I think I remember this. Uh, re- watching this on like VH1 once upon a time ago is uh, in 1995. Outcast, the group that put the South on the map as like a rap powerhouse. They won Best New Artist in 95 and got booed. <gasps> booed by everyone in the room. And I'm oh like, how God. do you boo Outkast? They are one of, like, the best groups, like, kind of ever. Like, Ron Funch has gotten a lot of trouble for saying Outkast is better than the Beatles. And at this point, well, there's a fair point to make there. I But <laughs> Andre 3000 gets up, he gets the mic and just says, like, you know, everyone from New York, everyone from L.A., these coasts, like, you're mad because you think what you say is, like, more important than what we're saying, basically. And he just tells them, like, fuck you, the South has shit to say. And I think that's great. And it's really important for, like, who these characters are. And especially, like, transplanting them from Georgia into Beverly Hills. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I 100% agree. I feel like... And that's something kind of like what I went through when I was starting to kind of understand, like where Atlanta was in like the hierarchy quote unquote Mm -hmm. of like of cinema even Mm -hmm. like I was watching all these movies I used to fantasize about living in New York um for context (laughs) I lived in Atlanta for like I think since I was 11 Mm -hmm. and I did not want to move here I did not like it here when I first moved I always used to like watch these movies like of them in LA and like romanticize it and be like, yeah, when I'm like old, when I'm like Kate <laughs> Hudson's age, I'm going to move to New York. <laughs> and it was very much like, you know, these movies almost program you to be like, yeah, this like, you have to move here for your life to start. And mm-hmm. to an extent, BAPS even does that. But watching this now, like as an adult, once I've like gone, like I've fallen out of love with LA, I've fallen out of love with New York and I've really learned to appreciate what Atlanta has to offer and Georgia as a whole, minus, you know, the disgusting far right politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's an everywhere problem right now. Yes, it or is. Or in general, but especially right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's really nice to see Atlanta or I guess Decatur just be like just mm-hmm. be its own like almost a character in the film like a brief character mm-hmm. and have these 
characters who are steeped in that environment. And it just tells such a unique, I feel like it tells such a unique fish out of water story. Oh, for sure. I, I think that, especially because, like, you know, I'm I'm a transplant from Cleveland to Los Angeles, and those are extremely different worlds. There's, there's, there is a sense that you get with a lot of these overlooked areas, you know, um, whether that be, like, Missouri or North Dakota or Ohio or Florida, like, anywhere that isn't, like, a big cultural epicenter like the coasts or, like, maybe even something like Austin or Chicago – there is something about looking at people from elsewhere and sort of treating them like like lesser or as trashy or as poor or ignorant or any of these things that you get uh, from anyone from those regions. Um, it's the constant misconception people have about the South that like, oh, the South is full of racist and horrible people. I'm like, well, they're, they're there, but it's just gerrymandered to hell and what you're doing is being a piece of shit. And that's the, that's the case for a lot of these more flyover or less substantial states like Ohio because um, the three C's of Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati, those those are big deals there. Like, they're, they're much more liberal than the rest of the state. They're just cursed of being in Ohio. And it's this thing where I'm in Los Angeles, and I feel like I have a better sense of who I always have been being here because I'm removed from where it was just normal and just kind of was. Like, the location is – it's a very important character, whether that be – like the opening scenes of this movie or Beverly Hills. The location is a character in of itself. And where you come from is like in your bones. It's in your DNA. And it's an important part of who you are. And it just becomes so much more obvious where you're from and who you are and how you are different than where you are currently. Once you're removed from like your hometown or where you came up or came of age, you know? Definitely. And before we dive into the nitty-gritty of BAPS, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy April prom party. With spring comes new changes, as if we don't have changes on the Patreon every single month. Some of the things that you can find on our Patreon this month includes the monthly This Ends a Prom wellness newsletter, a playlist made by me that's Kind of just inspired by Boy Genius, since it seemed like the right thing to be consumed by. <laughs> and our suggestion box, which you're all going to be really excited because we have uh, quite a few films that are coming straight from there to your feeds in the coming months. For our Sadie Hawkins Dance mini episodes, we have some uniquely different coming-of-age stories for boys in Rushmore and The Karate Kid. And I have some strong feelings about The Karate Kid, having watched it after the next Karate Kid. It's, we'll get into it there. We're also working our way through Freaks and Geeks still. Thus far, no misses. We're just having, like, the best time with that. And for our musical milestone episodes, we're being joined by our buddy Ben from Biff Radio to talk about the Empire Records soundtrack. And speaking of our friends... Hello, hello. This is Grace Lazos, the founder of the nonprofit theater company Broadway Bots. We are the first fat positive, size inclusive performing arts organization in New York City, and we are dedicated to doing all we can to end fat phobia in the performing arts. Our first fully staged production is coming to the Crane Theater at the end of April, and we're inviting you. 
Come see Andrew Lippa's The Wild Party April 28th and 29th at 7 p.m. or April 30th at 2 p.m. For behind-the-scenes footage, previews, and early access to tickets, subscribe to our Patreon. For more information on Broadway Bods, check out our website. Thanks for listening. But wait, there's more! Are you tired of scrolling through the same old movies and TV shows on your streaming platform? Do you want to discover new voices and stories that break stereotypes? Then it's time to join Soleil Space, the world's first truly global community streaming platform. Soleil Space is more than just a streaming platform. It's a community of people from all over the world who are passionate about authentic storytelling and promoting underrepresented voices. With Soleil Space, you can discover the world's hottest emerging filmmakers, support filmmakers from your own culture, and curate films for your community. But that's not all. With Soleil Space, you can participate in watch parties and join groups to recommend films and meet new friends who share your love of film and culture. You'll explore authentic worlds of never-before-seen, critically-acclaimed films from underrepresented countries and cultures. Join the Soleil Space community today and start exploring a world of diverse, authentic stories. Visit www.soleilspace.com to start your free two-month trial for This Ends at Prom podcast listeners using promo code TEEP60. Once again, that is S-O-L-E-I-L space.com and the promo code of T-E-A-P-60. Thank you, and back to the movie. So in the tradition of the podcast, we are going to talk about our main characters first. So Livy, how do you feel about Nisi and Mickey as characters? Oh my God, I love them. (laughs) They are my sisters! I'm so freaking obsessed with them. I think my favorite part about them and this goes back to what harmony was just talking about about understanding like who you are and how your environment has defined you like when you're outside of it when they're in la they're so freaking annoying (laughs) (laughs) and it's okay it is okay like whoever they're like running into well like once they run into like the richies it's like they either they pretend to be delighted or they're genuinely delighted by them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just it's so nice to see that. Mm-hmm. And I think like Nisi's always gonna hold it down. Like Halle Berry, she's you know, she's Halle Berry. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think I think Mickey is just so fascinating as a character, as a person, as a woman, as a black person. I think <laughs> It's just so nice to see, like, an unapologetic... I hate saying, like, unapologetic, but, like, she is very much just, like... Either it's because she's clueless or because she, like, knows who she is that she has no problem, like, cussing somebody out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> or being like, this food is disgusting. We need to get <laughs> in the kitchen and cook you something nice. And it's just... it's it, And it, you can feel like it comes from this place of, like, just wanting the best for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I love that so much because it is very much kind of like baked into the existence of being a black woman. Like there is that sense that black women are naturally caretakers, but I feel like BAPS approaches that from a sense of it being like less of like a matronly mammy type figure and more of like, I'm your best friend. I'm your homegirl. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do for you mm-hmm. what you can't do for yourself. 
Oh, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Um, like specifically with like using the soul food as an example, it's it feels more like I'm sharing my culture with you because it will make your life better. And I'm doing it because <laughs> yes. I want to, not because I have to. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And something that I wanted to bring up is that um, Natalie DeSalle Reed unfortunately passed away in 2020 after a long battle with cancer. And Halle Berry wrote something about her that like I just feel like way on my heart because it's so thoughtful and yet so heartbreaking at the same time where she said, Natalie represented actual black women, not what black women are perceived to be. And for that, she was often underrated, passed over, and deprived of the platform she truly deserved. But her light continues to shine through the people who grew up watching her, the people who knew her best, and those of us who loved her. And I think that's kind of speaking to what you were saying about, like, not wanting to say, like, the unapologetically black character, but, like, that there's something about Natalie DeSalle Reed that every character always feels so lived in and it she never felt like a black character written by white people like if yeah. i feel like mm-hmm. that's the best way i could describe it um and i love mickey because she just is who she is um you know whether she's putting words in her hair and like walking very carefully <laughs> so that it doesn't get messed up or like thirsting after like hot european guys with like no insecurity to be found like obsessed with her (laughs) so real for that oh it's incredible like I think she's just such a wonderful character and then you know Nisi is such an interesting like I mean between the two of them she's more of the straight man but neither of these characters are playing straight (laughs) man by any stretch of imagination um but she's the one who you you know she's she's the driven one she's the leader she's kind of the one that's in charge but she's also just kind of figuring shit out as she goes and I think there's something really endearing about that oh my gosh yes she she has no problem with like telling her boyfriend like your dream's dumb. But then she'll fully squat on a bidet like, because she doesn't know what else to do. Uh-huh. And I just think that's so, <laughs> that's just so real that it really is. It's like that. It's like when you're an adult or when you're trying to become an adult, it's like sometimes you can't keep it together all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's also just really freaking funny to see Halle Berry flounder like a fish mm-hmm. in a latex in an orange latex suit <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so i think that there is like this preconceived notion that people have about Halle berry because of a lot of the roles that she's taken on or like you know because she is also like one of the most beautiful women to have ever walked the planet mm-hmm. um so i think people have this idea of her but people forget like Halle berry can do camp she's in the flintstones movie <laughs> like mm-hmm. she's so much more than just like oh yeah she won the oscar for monsters ball like she's also an x-men like Halle berry can kind of right. do anything i mean that and that I wig would... in the first x-men movie is pure camp look that's not her so fault iconic <laughs> <laughs> All those wigs, I feel like there was one, I feel like it was X2, where it was kind of like a spiky bob. As a kid, I was like, I loved it. Or maybe that's The Last Stand. I I cannot remember. The Last Stand is when they gave her really good hair. And I'm like, oh, that's the best thing about The Last Stand. (laughs) (laughs) She's the best part, arguably, of all of those movies. Oh, of course. Yeah, there's no question. (laughs) Um, and okay, so let's talk about the wigs though. The wigs in this movie <laughs> put them in the Louvre. Like, they're art, every single one of them. Genuinely. 
I love it so much. Um, I feel like there's the one in the airport sequence is obviously, you know, or, or the two in the airport sequence are obviously the ones that get the most chatter, as they should, mm -hmm. because Mickey's wig, <laughs> it's like, what does it say on the back? Does it say booyah? booyah. <laughs> Uh, I'm just so obsessed with that. And it goes back to being like, I, oh, just like the experience of being a black woman and like putting an emphasis, like making your hair art, obviously on like a smaller everyday scale. Like it's, you know, you're not walking around with booyah on the back of your head, <laughs> but there is still that sense that like sometimes my hair's short now, but when it was long and I would like go to the movies, people would be like, down in front and i'd be like oh mfg seriously <laughs> seriously you can't sit somewhere else and seeing them like pour their essence into their hair oh, it's so good oh they, they like this movie leads with the hair like the poster for <laughs> when we when we bring it up online the poster for it is this high angle shot looking down at them in like the outfits that they had for like the airport scene it's it's the hair that's the first thing you see because like yes. it's pointed straight down like from the tops of their heads uh, it's so good. And also, like, on the airplane, I, I love the idea that somebody is sitting there going, I paid good money for this in-flight movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, I take planes for the movies. And, like, the film that they're blocking is, like, someone coloring with crayons. <laughs> it's And, like, little ding, 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 ding music playing. I'm like, you're watching a cartoon. <laughs> <Yes>. Right. <laughs> there is, yeah, you're not missing anything. So I love the extravagance of the hair because it reminds me so much of when I was in high school, um, for those of this is like your first time listening to the show, I grew up in an area where like white people were the minority. Um, so prom season was like the best time, not just because like, oh, it's high school and we care more about prom than anything, but also because everybody stepped their shit up in a way that was so <laughs> exciting and high fashion. And so all of a sudden, like all of the girls in school, like the week after prom, because, you know, you're not going to spend all that much money to get all of this intricate braid work and all of this like intricate stuff done to then just like wash it out the next day. Like that's not happening. So for like the last two weeks of school after prom, like everybody looked like they were stepping off of like a runway because their hair was so <laughs> fucking cool and it was art and it was beautiful. So like our high school was the place to be uh, the couple weeks after prom. Like everybody else in our like district, it's like, yeah, you look like regular school. We look like fashion. And of course, like we look back at a lot of the pictures from, you know, 2006 through 2008, whatever. And all of us are like, man, what was I thinking? Like, why did we all do this? But at the time we were like, 
no one can fucking touch us. We are the coolest people. And I think there's that energy brought into this movie because you know, they're coming from Decatur, going to LA, and they're like, we're unfuckwithable. Look at our hair. Look at our outfits. You can't tell us anything. Mm-hmm. And like, I wish I could just like distill that energy and that confidence and carry it with me because like imposter syndrome is nowhere to be found with either of them. Even when they are in line waiting for like the video vixen auditions and they're just thinking about that. <laughs> like there are these like, you know, people that are dancing that are, you can tell this person probably went to fucking Juilliard. They are so well-trained and <laughs> Allie Berry is just like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want and I'm just going to feel it. And deal with it even natalie even natalie is like get him girl yeah, yeah. she's like, that's my home girl right there like, like she's period she's so supportive even though like it <laughs> yes. is very clear she's kind of out of her element here but that's fine like yes i love how they just are like we look great and if anybody has an issue they're just wrong and yes oh, beautiful <laughs> and it just yeah it just makes me think of that time period of i mean High school was a shitty time for a lot of reasons. It was not a shitty time for that. It was great for that. <laughs> and I love what you said about kind of looking back on it and being like, oh. But I, and I feel like there's a similar, like there's some of that energy in BAPS in a sense, not in like a cringe, like you look back and cringe, but in a way that it's like, it's such a time capsule mm-hmm. into like, just like a peek into that era. And I feel like, like now it's like it's being embodied by like like you said like Cardi B like even Megan The Stallion to an extent like still like she'll dabble in that aesthetic, and it's it's kind of like, some people are gonna look at that and be like what are you doing, and all you have to do is just like show them Baps and be like <laughs> it's like a history book it's like a history book for like Black Style and I love it so much for that. So speaking oh, of Black Style. style. Ruth Carter <laughs> does Queen. the costumes for Baps. And it's one of those things where if you didn't know Ruth Carter is the costume designer for this movie, if someone told you, you're like, oh, this makes all the sense in the world. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, legendary costume designer and every piece in this movie is perfect. Like, I would change nothing about any mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Even when it gets to the point where they're kind of like edging away from their quote unquote tackiness. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where it's when Halle Berry's boyfriend, like, comes and is like, I'm sorry, girl. And she has on that, like, yellow, like, negligee, Mm -hmm. like, that robe, like, that silk robe. With shoulder pads? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, I had forgotten slightly that Ruth Carter had done the costumes, but there's, like, a shot where Halle's, like, walking down the steps or something. And I'm like, oh, I remember. I remember. Ruth is behind every look and they all look so good. They really do. And it is, it's just, like you said, it's such a time capsule of this era of style. And what's so fascinating, and by fascinating, it's racist, um, is the fact that these, <laughs> these costumes are just as like iconic and memorable as something in Clueless, as something in Romy and Michelle, but we mm. don't have that same affinity when, like, we're using the same materials. It's the same, like, brightness in terms of its flashy color and, you know, oh, random metallics or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, like, we all know why these costumes aren't as revered. And it's so infuriating because if 
if you put these costumes in any of those other movies, people would have been like, oh, this is brilliant. This is great. But because iconic. it's iconic. Yeah, iconic. But because it's in BAPS, people are like, oh, this is ratchet. And I'm like, first off, you don't know what that word means. Stop using it. Second of all, um, like, no, like, it's fantastic. They look incredible. And everything is also tailored so well to their bodies. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like. And that same thing, because, like, Hallie's body is freaking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. But then it's like if you look at Natalie's costumes as well, mm-hmm. they look so good on her. Oh, yeah. And there's so much care that goes into, like, every single one of her outfits as well. And I just love, like, throughout this, in every aspect of the film, I feel like she is never overshadowed by Halle Berry. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some people, you know, fat phobes, who expect her to, like, fade into the background, but she never does. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like, the costuming for her doesn't try to hide that she is bigger. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if you want to compare this to, you know, a lot of other styles, it's like, let's try and, you know, once we get to, like, the late 90s and early 2000s, let's put you in business wear so that you can look nice and <laughs> formal and matronly. Or, like, in the opposite direction, let's like, let's go really casual. Let's let's take the, the Missy Elliott approach of it where it's like, you're going to wear oversized everything because then you don't look like you're quite as big as you are and we don't really highlight that. No, everything is tailored in a way where she looks amazing and feminine and it's, I, I love all of it. There were multiple outfits where I look at BJ on the couch and go, you would wear that. And yeah, you'd be great. <laughs> 100% I would. Okay. So yeah, thinking of Natalie. Oh my God. Okay. So <laughs> I just get really hyped whenever I talk about like fat characters that are costumed correctly because <laughs> there's not a lot to choose from. Um, yeah. Because in the, in like the 90s and into the 2000s, especially in the 2000s, you're totally right. Like business casual was the thing that they mm-hmm. did to any fat woman. They were like, oh, you're a fat woman. Let's hide your arms. We're putting you in a blazer. And mm-hmm. it was so terrible because everything was terribly tailored like nothing fit anybody nothing sat on you nicely and if heaven forbid something did embrace the natural curvature of your body you got slapped immediately with like unflattering like this is an unflattering Mm -hmm. look whereas you're too buxom everything that mickey wears in this it's like you know, we are making sure that everybody sees every curve on your body. And then we're also going to like, t- we're going to subvert the expectation of you need to be in a blazer and you're going to have a statement jacket that is going to cinch at the waist and you're going to make these beautiful shapes with your body. And it's so well tailored and so well crafted that no matter how big you are, every single person who sees you knows you're a bad bitch. And like, that is <laughs> so amazing to me. Like, I, yeah, I would live in anything that she wears because it's all perfect and it fits perfect and it knows exactly, like, the best lesson that anybody who's like, I don't even know where to begin costuming fat people. Watch BAPS because it's perfect. Like, nailed oh, it. <laughs> there's a whole montage. There's a shopping spree montage where it's just like, cool, here's like eight different outfits. There you go. It's and they beautiful. do kind of do like the, they do like a riff on the business casual too, because she does have a blazer at one point, but it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my so God. good. I just, I love it so much. Um, and speaking of kind of like the trademark looks, um, do we want to talk about the gold tea? Yes. <laughs> so yes. Livy, what are your thoughts on the gold tea? 
I wish they had kept them in. So do I. Same. Right? I, I didn't even notice when they stopped having, like, we get to the end of the movie and I'm like, uh-huh. wait, at what point did they get rid of their gold teeth? I don't, I'm going to assume it was during the shopping spree, but I didn't miss, like, the clear point where that happened. I know. It just, it, like, off screen. And then suddenly, uh-huh. like, they all have brilliant smiles and you're like, wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I love a singular gold tooth or I love a singular like stoned tooth. Dad um, has a gold tooth. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> also kind of why I love it. Um, when I was younger, I wanted one so bad. <laughs> and my, my parents That's were real. like, no. And I was like, well, how about when I get this cavity filled in, like I'll keep like silver or gold. Like we won't do like the flesh tone. My parents are like, no, we're not paying for that. Like it's expensive. We're not doing it. (laughs) Um, But there is something that I have always found really special about, like, especially if it is like a visible, like front of mouth gold tooth, Mm -hmm. because like that is a choice. Like that is an intentional stylistic choice you're making. And it is a bold choice. And it's also one where like, if somebody has a gold tooth, like I remember them forever because you remember that smile. And I remember like, like you can't be like insecure and also have a gold tooth. Like that doesn't work. Like you, if you have a gold tooth, you are like one of the most confident people and you probably have a really good energy about you. (laughs) I don't, I just like, I, I just love it. Like they're just certain status symbols or like personality traits that can be expressed through fashion or just any sort of physical expression. And like the gold tooth is underrated in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) It even, it even goes back to like what you were saying about like their complete lack of imposter syndrome, like their total, like you can't tell me shit energy, Mm -hmm. like them flashing their smiles at the very beginning. You're like, Oh yeah, they don't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they honestly kind of, like, make it work. Like, if I had seen this when I was, like, 10, I'd be like, Mom, <laughs> Mom, Mom, can I have a gold tooth? I don't care where it goes. I just want one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I love it. And I also love that if you're not paying attention, like, if you're just catching, like, an image of this or, like, a gif out of context or whatever, it would be so easy for somebody to be, like, that's a really tacky choice and, like, judge them. But, like, never does the movie do that to them, which I think that's another thing is the lens of this movie, like, in my opinion, it doesn't feel like a movie that is, like, trying to make them the butt of the joke. The butt of the Mm -hmm. joke is, like... The fact that all of us are so, like, we're all such insecure weirdos that we could only wish to be like them. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they have the confidence that none of us will ever have. And a lot of the humor comes in that of, like, these people kind of shaking up, like, a very stuffy, insecure, like, oh, we got to follow all the rules or else we're not going to get uncle's money kind of world. And they're like, (laughs) or, or live your fucking life and do what you want. And like, that is, that is the motto we should all be having into our lives. It's so true. And it's almost, it reminds me of, I feel like there's, this is like a, like a micro genre of like, like, have you guys seen Last Holiday? Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like that, like just a woman with like so much love in her heart and like innocence to a sense where she like just does not care about conventions 
mm-hmm. and everybody freaking falls in love with her because she's just herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of thing. And even um, what was that that movie with Leslie Manville and she like wants a, a dress from Dior that just came out. Oh my god, the title. Mrs. Is... Harris goes to Paris. There you go. <laughs> and and like Isabel Huppert is like you can't, and she's like, but I've. I've got money. It's so sweet. And it's I did not mean to launch into two separate impressions just then. I love it, though. Like, Thank you. Thank you. No, but I think that 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 kind of is, like, the central point of the movie is that it's just about people who don't know how to handle them, but they're not opposed to, like, these main characters. They're not, like, put off by them. They're just like, huh. Okay. I'll, I'll sign up for this. Yeah, absolutely. The one character I will say that's, like, not with it at all at first is, you know, obviously, like, Manly, the butler. Mm -hmm. Alfred. Alfred. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But, like, watching, like, them soften his heart Mm -hmm. is so fantastic. And he is one of the funniest characters in the film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if anybody's the straight man in this movie, it's Manly. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I think he's the funniest outside of our two leads. Um, Also, I have a huge soft spot for, like, middle-aged to older men who just are unapologetic about watching soaps, speaking of BJ's dad. (laughs) We can't be out in his dirty laundry like that. He's going to be so – we're killing his street cred. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because because he listens to this podcast. Your dad's going to be like, what's a podcast? Yeah, that's also true. But, like, I think Manly, I think he's great. Um, I will say, like, he's he's very put off by, like, the soul food initially. And I, at least it's a dietary choice of, like, oh, no, uh, for your health to make you live as long as possible, we need to feed you, like, boiled chicken and, like, flavorless awful food rather than just, like, <laughs> he has no sense of taste. Um, I, I do like that as an element. But, yeah, uh, it, it, t- t- first of all. We'll talk about Uncle Donald a little bit later. But, like, I think Manly is is, is wonderful. I also love that um, he he's subtly a queen. Yeah. Yeah, he, he really is. He has a is. boyfriend at the end, but we don't address it. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that he's, like, dancing at the very end, too. I was uh-huh. like, okay. Get it. Get it, Manly. Uh, or or the, the, the back and forth conversation with Nisi's boyfriend on the phone. Literally one of my favorite parts. It's so good. Of, he's like, he says that you are tripping. Period. <laughs> Maybe she is. Maybe she is. Maybe. I mean, I will say, like, just because of the way that it has permeated uh, the current, like, week that we're doing this, I had this thing where I'm like, no, Nisi is everything. He's just Ken, though. <laughs> Low-key. That's one of the things that I kind of wish was not in the film like Mm -hmm. the boyfriend stuff it's just like uh, i feel like sometimes boyfriend subplots like ancient boyfriend subplots like subtract Mm -hmm. from like what's happening oh for sure while it does it does supply like a nice laugh like especially with um with mickey and her boyfriend when he's just like sobbing and he's like he cries all the time he does (laughs) 
And it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Like at first, like, like the beginning of that scene, I'm like, I don't care what you have to say. Why are you speaking to her? (laughs) But it eventually gets like pretty funny. But other than that, I'm like, we don't need this. Mm -hmm. You don't need them. No. All you need is Mickey. You only need each other. That, that's that's kind of what it boils down to, though, is they do only need each other. And I don't know if it was like in the original script, but it feels like just you're supposed to have a romance story in movies mm-hmm. like this. Like um, th- we, we see this a lot with like uh, teen films or coming of age ones where it's like, oh, the, the female lead is so compelling and the guy is just kind of there. And you're supposed yes. like the mean the, the significance of the guy is that he means a lot to the character you like. So you just go. I guess, but I think you should dump him. Uh, that That's kind of how I feel about Like, I like the beginning of this movie when they go to the bar called The Gold Tooth and the the guys are just, they, they're not shit. They, they refuse to pay for their drinks because they're like, it's ladies night. You, did, you got in for free. You should be buying us drinks. And like, the dudes aren't shit. I love that. But then they come back around. It's like, I guess you grew off screen and you cut your hair you yeah. got rid of your disgusting perms so yeah <laughs> so i mean i guess that's what they've been doing have they're having like an adjacent film in the background of this film that we're not mm. watching um but like I, I don't feel the love even if there is this beautiful shot with them dancing in this spotlight and their their song is playing like i get what i'm supposed to feel but i don't love these guys mm-hmm. it's almost like a really hollow part of the film, Mm -hmm. which is ironic because up until that moment, it's like firing on every single cylinder. Oh yeah. The humor is there. The heart is there. You're laughing, you're tearing up. And then that moment happens and you're like, I don't feel anything. (laughs) This is the Blackmore residence. One moment, please. It's for you. You tell him I'm through with his sorry ass. Hello, sir. She's through with your sorry ass. I wonder, would you mind repeating that, sir? Thank you. He says you're tripping because you're in Hollywood and he hopes you don't get played. Oh, I'm tripping. And he hope I don't get played? Tell him he better hope his mama don't get played. Hello, sir. She hopes your mama don't get played. Wait a moment, sir. Yes, she is, as a matter of fact. (laughs) He asked if you were biting your lip. Yes, yes. But that's truly extraordinary, isn't it? All right, sir, I will. Good night now. What did he say? Well, he said he's sorry. Maybe he's tripping, but he misses you very much on the real. I will say one thing I do love about how this movie kind of builds up into its last 30 minutes is you have the whole Isaac is going to rob his uncle kind of thing. where like, I'm going to frame these girls and I'm going to get all of your inheritance. That's like the end of the second act. And I I was kind of like, oh, what? There's probably, what, five minutes left of this movie? Because that was like the main antagonist. No, there's 30 minutes left. Like It just keeps going. This doesn't go into like kids movie territory where we have to thwart a robber or something like that. It's not like Richie Rich or whatever. Um, I I, I love the scene where they're just beating up, what's his name, Antonio? 
My favorite. Oh my God. This is how Tyson punches. <laughs> it's like Mike Tyson in 97, he's a killer. <laughs> but Hallie's like fully committed to like pinkies up. Uh huh. Like mm-hmm. punching. And like, no way that's feasible, but she's like beating the shit out of him. Like, she almost killed him. Yeah, you got to hit him with the palm, otherwise, you're going to break your nails. <laughs> <laughs> I so I love that once they are dealing with kind of like the the white polite society of things I like what you said Harmony about how none of them seem to be like actively repulsed by them or like offended they're just like huh okay mm-hmm. um I think that's very kind of endearing and I can't help but think that maybe the reason that we have kind of the boyfriend subplot is because like Again, because I, I feel like I can feel produ- production notes in here. I feel like somebody was like, we need to have a boyfriend so that at no point the audience believes that Halle Berry is actually going to fuck this old man. Like, <gasps> maybe you know. like maybe that's why that's there. Because, like, let's let's talk about Donald Blake more. Martin Landau, who I think is having the time of his fucking life in this movie. He looks like he's yes. having so much fun. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know exactly how I feel about Donald Blake more being like, yeah, the great love of my life was, you know, the black housekeeper and I could n- never be with her. He doesn't go full, like, Jennifer Coolidge and down to earth being like, I'm going to back that ass up for you. Like, he doesn't go that far. <laughs> Uh-huh. With with like his obsession and fetishization with black women, but like there's something that gives me a little bit of ick about him, and I can't put my finger on it. No, I'd agree with that. I think um, they're walking a fine line. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> between their like uh, their 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 camaraderie and like mm-hmm. I think he sees some of himself in Nisi, but then also like. there's like suggestions that they're like gonna give him something to like up his like sex drive and it's like Uh and like they go clubbing with him there's sugar daddy vibes but also it's like it's not like that it's weird it's odd yeah there's something about it that's a little off like in any (laughs) i feel like in any other movie this would have been like a pretty woman situation um but then like that's not what the movie is doing like it feels like it's like it's dangling the carrot of like this is why sex work is important but it's at the same time like but they are definitely not sex work this is not sex work we do not condone sex work and it's like pick a lane because i don't know what's happening (laughs) okay but like let's let for people who haven't seen this movie let's walk through this a little bit so they're at the auditions to be a video girl and that's when Isaac, the nephew, comes up and is like, I have a, I, oh, no, it's Antonio, isn't it? It's Antonio. Yeah, it's yeah. Antonio. Yeah. He's doing it for Isaac. He comes up and he says, like, here's the thing. Um, my employer, uh, he'll give you $10,000 to be in his video to get them there. The idea that they're having here, this is, this is Isaac's grand plan, is I'm going to go to on an audition to find, I, I think ideally he was looking for just one black woman, but he found two. And I guess that's just part of his happy circumstance or something with his half-baked plan. But he's like, I'm going to find a struggling actress or dancer because they'll do sex work for $10,000, obviously. (laughs) And they can pretend to be the granddaughter of the lost love of my uncle. So that's like, cool, I'm going to hire someone to do sex work who isn't necessarily a sex worker but is desperate to... Fuck the form of fling <laughs> of their of, of their like fictitious grandmother. 
It's so much. Yeah, it's... It's like, I think this is maybe my thinking through this is that I have a lot of friends who have been like escorts or do sex work or whatever. And it's the, uh, it's the thing with old white men who really just want to have like some pretty arm candy or they just want someone to talk to. They don't necessarily want sex. They just want to feel desired or heard kind of. Mm-hmm. But the movie, that's not really the part of the movie. That's just like, that's an underlying theme that isn't part of of the movie so again it's that really fine line and it's odd because it's like the nephew is like somehow by doing this i will get his entire fortune Mm -hmm. and it's like how (laughs) i mean bj what was uh what was that movie we watched recently with uh anna ferris and tony collette oh the inheritance yes yeah where they also tried to hook up their dying aunt with her high school boyfriend who they never actually got with. And the dude is like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, I sometimes whip my dick out when I'm drunk and I maybe did it too close to a playground. So now I'm technically a sex offender. It's a, it's a very oh it's a very intense movie. But apparently getting your dying relative laid is something that exists outside of just this movie. Wow. <laughs> and then they get the inheritance. Um, no, they get a... Or do they know? <laughs> they get a painting that's worth, like, $50,000, but it's a sad dog that reminds the dying aunt of how sad Tony Collette's life is. <laughs> oh and the dying aunt is also Kathleen Turner. So, again, like, another wow. unfuckable bad bitch. Um, <laughs> that movie is, like, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. I think it's on it's Prime got, Video. It's got some moments. It's got some moments, but it has a really fantastic cast. But, yeah, yeah. the movie itself is fine. But, yeah, no, that's, a, that's very much a thing in that is, oh, if I will endear myself to my dying aunt if I can get her laid by like the one that got away Mm -hmm. um so yeah apparently this is just a thought process people who desperately want money have never crossed my mind and i've been poor my whole life but who knows (laughs) um (laughs) but uh something that i find really interesting is that i read through some reviews of this movie and overwhelmingly they're not good like they're very unkind and um, honestly, they have very similar reviews to Romy and Michelle, which is another movie that did not do well. Um, but I read Roger Ebert's review, and Oof, I have famous. I have such a love hate relationship with Roger Ebert because he is both absolutely brilliant and the most infuriating man <laughs> in film criticism. Yeah, I think simultaneously, we, yeah. we praised him like two episodes ago because he listed Welcome to the Dollhouse as one of his favorite films of that year. Like, sometimes he really gets it, and then sometimes he really doesn't. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Because he did not like Babs, and he does not like the performances, except for Martin Landau, which part of me feels like, do you only like him because, like, you like his work? So this is kind of like when the Oscars award somebody for their body of work and not their individual performance in a movie. Um, mm. It kind of feels like that, like, oh, I'm going to give Martin Landau this, like, positive review in this movie because he doesn't want to you know, speak ill of, you know, an acting legend. But for me, like, to say that he doesn't like Halle Berry and and Natalie Reed's performances, to me just sounds like somebody who fundamentally doesn't understand these characters because they are doing Mm -hmm. everything right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure Roger Ebert was not kind to Martin Landau in Ready to Rumble. (laughs) Great point. (laughs) Which we just rewatched. He he was not kind to anyone who wasn't a wrestler in that movie. But uh, no, I, I do absolutely agree that it's like, yeah, I think he just likes the, the he's going to praise Martin Landau for being a 
well, uh, an accomplished actor who is crying in the limousine and putting his heart and soul into this movie. But yeah, he doesn't understand. Like comedy's subjective, but like I don't think he understands like the comedic or the characterization of our leads at all. Mm-hmm. He very much, to me, I feel like he's giving like put upon ally a little bit because he was very like in the late nineties and the two thousands, he was like championing like a lot of diverse work from non white directors. Mm-hmm. But this, it's almost like he's, he's like offended for black people. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a part of his review. That's like, I feel like whites will, white people will be aghast by this and black people will be embarrassed. And it's like, you don't know that actually. Mm-hmm. Did, did you ask? It's, it's purely hypothetical. Yeah. It's like, did you ask black people? And he's like, oh, this is so offensive. And it's like to you. Mm-hmm. And you need to think about why you are offended by satire. Right. Like, for real. Um, the So the opening scenes when they're still in Georgia, when we're watching that, I was like, BJ, this is one of those situations where, like, I think it was last year where Hairspray got popular for a second amongst, like, TikTok <laughs> teens. And they watched the first 15 minutes and they were like, wow, this is really racist. I can't believe somebody. And by the way, we're talking about the musical, not the 80s one. But, like, they were like, wow, this is really racist and offensive. They should have never made this when, like, that's point of the movie (laughs) i feel like you could throw this movie in front of like people who have no context and the opening 15 minutes of this and they go oh my god this is so offensive and so racist and i hate it how dare you and it's like i don't know if you realize that this movie is written by a black woman and stars black women and you're you don't know what you're talking about it's so crazy it's like if you just look at the at the credits like You'll know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see. Yeah, it's just it's they don't know how to feel about a thing and then go well. It clearly must be bad because I'm uncomfortable and don't know how to deal with that. Yeah, I think so. This is going to be my one and only time I think in the history of this show to ever talk about how much I love Rudy Ray Moore. So I'm using it. Um, uh, he's awesome. I love him <laughs> because he has his little cameo in this movie. But I think like him having a cameo in this movie is such like a weird meta understanding of what this movie is because Rudy Roy Moore is another filmmaker who made like super impactful and monumental black cinema Mm -hmm. and contemporary white critics look back and they don't know what to do with it because Mm -hmm. they are like uncomfortable they're like oh this feels racist but I don't know why but it's like but is it or is it just an experience you're not familiar with Mm -hmm. and you're applying like your contemporary white lens onto a community that you're not a part of and that like this is not speaking to you in any way shape or form because it was never meant to and I think there's a little bit of that in BAPS where like in the 90s we were still having like really popular like films for quote unquote niche audiences like people weren't trying to appease the four quadrants they were trying to make an intentional movie making an intentional story speaking to an intentional audience and if other people understand it then like that's a perk as far as we're concerned Mm -hmm. whereas today like everything has to be accessible to everybody or therefore it's you know at risk of failing or what have you Mm -hmm. and I think, like like you said at the top, Livy, like, there are people who are going to watch BAPS and they're going to get it, and there are people who are going to watch it and they're not going to get it. And if they don't get it, that's fine. But that's not a sign of this being a bad movie. This is a sign of you don't fucking get it. Yeah. Yes. 
Like, um, speak, speaking of Eddie Murphy earlier, and, you know, he did Dolomite Is My Name, like, four years ago. and it Also was with of, costumes by Ruth Carter. Exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. But it was one of my favorite films of the year, and it was incredible. And I was working at the SideQuest, God Rested Soul, at the time, and I put Dolomite on the, the original one, not the, you know, biopic one. And I had a bunch of white people coming in, and they were just like, Harmony, I don't know if you should be playing this. This feels really racist. And I'm like, I don't. I'm working. I don't have the time to explain to you the intricacies of black exploitation and Rudy Ray Moore's catalog, but I need you to know that you are completely wrong in what you're saying right now. But like that was their first instinct of, oh, this clearly has to be racist. And I'm like, no, it's satire of black exploitation. Yeah. And it, it's it's not something that's really going away either. Like white critics still to this day have these complicated feelings with films made by black people for black people that mm-hmm. don't necessarily like cater to them or invite their gaze like with the woman king like all that drama mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. like like when it was going up for for awards and like people were coming up to gina prince bythe with the director and were like oh i had to be dragged to this movie because i did not feel like it was for me but now that i'm here i love it like bitch <laughs> <laughs> It's so good, though. It's like, and it's, and if you watch that movie, it's like, aside from the culture that is being depicted, like, so much of the themes are inherently classical Mm -hmm. and, like, really, really palatable for as many audiences as possible. But white critics and white audiences are still like, I don't get it. Uh And I don't think I like it. (sighs) Or they don't expect to like it. I I think that, um, I feel like there's almost they're they're giving themselves permission to not have to deal with like whatever comes with watching a movie like that. Um, I feel like in the case of something like BAPS, they're like, oh, well, I mean, it's a dumb comedy. That means I'm allowed to just say that it's bad rather than actually like think about what it has to say. Like I'm the staunchest defender of Sorority Boys as like a fantastic trans surrogate film, despite it being a gross 2000s sex comedy. But, like, I say that and people go, well, I just don't, I don't think it's very good. And I'm like, I get what you're saying, but I need you to, like, listen to what I'm saying and then process it through that. And that yeah. will enrich your experience, even if you walk away still going, like, oh, I still didn't think it was funny, but I get it. Like, just put in that little extra work. Come on. Absolutely. There's this sense that, like, because there are flaws in BAPS. I'm not denying them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, like, that doesn't discredit how it's made black female audiences feel uh-huh. mm-hmm. like for 25 years. And I feel like people who don't have that, like who aren't clicked into that, they, they can't speak to it. Uh-huh. So they're just going to focus on the things that they can speak to, which is frustrating, but it's like, all you had to do is listen, mm-hmm. you know, I think, yeah, I think that's such a good point is, because I think BAPS is a really good example of, like you said, what we see right now with, like, the woman king, where people just make these assumptions of, oh, well, this has, you know, black leads, therefore it is not for me. And this fits into a topic that we cover on the podcast all the time, which is this idea, usually we just do it through the lens of gender, which is that, like, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is considered a classic and Clueless is considered a chick flick. And, like, why is that a thing it's because misogyny and the same thing happens with any other intersection of identity very obviously with race where you have movies that can appeal to a a wide audience if you want to or they can be funny and enjoyed by a lot of other people but 
the second that you see a face that doesn't look like yours, because we've all been conditioned to accept like cis white straight men as the default, anything that diverts from that at all is immediately viewed as niche. And that's not the case. And that's why it's really frustrating that a movie like BAPS has not gotten the reclamation the way that something like Romy and Michelle has, where, yeah, is it perfect? No, but mm-hmm. no movie really is. Um, <laughs> and, but pe- I think people are afraid to reclaim it because they're like, well, what if what if I'm wrong and what if this is really actually offensive or what have you? Because, you know, they're swinging out of their weight class a little bit, um, which like on one hand it's like oh i have empathy i understand but on the other hand like you could also just listen and if people are telling you that there's there's some benefit here and there's something good here you can take that to heart and like the world will not set fire i promise mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh i i don't know i i wrote about something um shameless plug on slash film the other day about how a league of their own was canceled because of poor focus group testing where it's like, well, yeah, focus groups are an incredibly biased system. And yeah, if you get a bunch of like average Joes in a room who are not comfortable with gay people, they're going to be uncomfortable with a league of their own because it's really gay. And (laughs) one of the parallels that I drew was uh, one of Harmony and I's favorite shows is P Valley on stars. Mm -hmm. And it's a show that is, has everything that people who love talking about prestige TV has, but it's like almost exclusively a black cast. It black writers, black directors, black showrunners, Katori Hall. And it's like Katori Hall has a Tony nomination and a Pulitzer Prize and went to Juilliard and Harvard. And that still isn't enough to get white people to watch her show. And it makes me want like that makes me want to set a building on fire um, <laughs> because yeah. it's because people just assume, oh, well, this clearly isn't going to speak to me or I cannot relate to this when that's just not true. Like you think about BAPS and it's like, have I ever been a black woman from Atlanta who wants to open a hair salon and a soul food restaurant in one? No, I sure have not. (laughs) I've never had that experience. Have I been in a situation where I'm like the weirdo eccentric poor person in a room of rich white people and how funny that, that just dichotomy is? Yes, I have experienced (laughs) that. Uh, Have I had the experience of being from a different place and moving to a big city to follow my dreams and realizing that like, I don't want to be like the people out here? Yeah, I've had that experience too. And I think Mm -hmm. like these are universal themes. People just don't know how to look outside of themselves. That's like the wall that they encounter. Like they see like women of color or like a POC lead and they're like, Oh no, mm-hmm. this is like, we have nothing in common. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <laughs> you can't possibly not have nothing in common. And I feel like until like all audiences get to the point where they can just look at something as like a story as like a person and like not get all I don't know why they get so wrapped up in like the identity or you know like race and gender but you know until people stop doing that it's just gonna keep happening Mm -hmm. and that's why it's been like 25 years and like with the woman king and even like with nanny mm-hmm. um that horror film oh my god i love nanny like the so reviews much. it's so good <laughs> it's, so, it's good. so good and the themes also are very universal it's literally just like it's a ghost story right right 
And people are like, mm, this is bad. I don't understand what's happening. Well, I mean, they're electing to give a reason for why they don't want to watch something. And I mean, we know what the reason is, but like it's they're 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 choosing. They already they're they're finding a reason to make up their mind for why they don't want to watch it, regardless of its quality as a film. Yeah. You go and go back to bed. Flight don't leave for another seven hours. I'm gonna be downstairs. Hey D. What we gonna do when we get off that plane? We ain't got no money, no apartment, nothing. We worse than when we started out. Maybe. But maybe not. Some things is priceless, you know, Mick. I love that the score is just like this this frothy fairy tale-esque kind of I think someone compared it to like Alan Silvestri, like before <laughs> he got tapped for the Avengers. Just like exuberant strings, like very, very upbeat and like whimsical. Mm-hmm. I think at first, when I first heard it, I thought it was like a really interesting, like, it was very interesting to pair that with this movie, which is so clearly like just gonzo satire until Mm -hmm. like the third act where it really leans into it, like it clicks into what, (laughs) what Alan Silvestri's like music is trying to inspire, like Mm -hmm. emotion and, and heart and just like this fond feeling. But I was saying, I, I actually, I wrote a piece about how BAPS is kind of like a fairy tale for black female audiences. And when I, when I listened to the score again, I was like, yeah, this is a fairy tale, like from the very beginning. And I think that also makes it easier to digest like some of the things that happen towards the end that feel like a fantasy and feel like, like they would never happen. Like I said, like, them opening that restaurant slash salon (laughs) like that's just silly (laughs) that's a silly idea but it's it's no sillier than like getting glass slippers and going to a freaking ball Mm -hmm. you know well I mean something that uh you know we've been making the comparison to Romy Shell because one it's the easiest one I mean it's Mm -hmm. they're both stories of sisterhood they both have really extravagant and flashy fashion they Um, all go on a trip they they all go on a trip. They're also like hot bimbos, and we stand a hot bimbo in this house. Um, like they we we've got all that, but they also end the exact same way. Romy and Michelle also open a store and like Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles after they have their big adventure, and then that's the same thing that happens in BAPS where they get their salon soul food place and not not only do they open one in LA but they also say that they have one in Decatur they're opening one in Europe like they've become like these international like like moguls yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so it's again it's that thing where it's like these movies end the same way too and yet you know one gets the reclamation and reverence and one you know, gets relegated to being talked about on our podcast. Um, <laughs> but like, it, it's, you're so right. It's such like a fairy tale. It feels like a fantasy and the music really does just kind of add to the stakes. And it also adds like a genuine sense of like delight to me because yes. anything that feels like a fairy tale is going to like 
tap into something like the deep recesses of our brains that make us think about like comfort and joy and, and like happiness watching fairy tales in childhood. And yeah. I think there's a little part of that. I think that's why this movie is so endearing is because you're like, oh, but they're like they're like princesses in a in a way. They <laughs> it's in the title. They're black American princesses. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I feel like that gets kind of overlooked um, when people talk about this film. I mean, it's not easy to like make that jump and be like, oh, this is like a fairy tale. I think people get wrapped up in the weirdly in the in the in the feasibility of something mm-hmm. like this happening. Mm-hmm. When it's like you watch something like Romy Michelle or you watch even like um Dick, that movie oh, with Kirsten yeah. Dunst I and love Dick. Michelle <laughs> Williams. Yeah. And it's like you really think two teen girls are gonna like get tight with Richard Nixon. Like you think that's feasible. And it's, it goes like back to, you know, the black female experience, like expecting like people expecting them to be like these like mules almost. And I think that's another reason why people can't suspend their disbelief with this. Mm -hmm. Cause it's, you know, if you think about the black femme experience on film, it's like Viola Davis, crying and like snot coming out of her nose Mm -hmm. and suffering and that can happen but it's it's nice to see something else happen and that's another reason (laughs) i love that this film came out on the same year as cinderella Mm -hmm. because it's like two black female fairy tales on completely different ends of the spectrum just speaking to like possibilities and allowing people like this sounds corny but like allowing like young black girls to dream mm-hmm. and be like this is fun no absolutely We're having fun especially because when you look at like the coming of age spectrum of of the 90s there's not the, the options for young black girls are limited yeah you know um i think the fact that this is a fairy tale is likely why i would not have seen this until now and that's because like as 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 a film it has the exact same like dna as something that i would have seen on comedy central at 2 p.m. on a sunday which is <laughs> a lot of movies i watched growing up in like my my adolescence and my teen years like so many movies and you can't tell me that like this is a worse movie than like Joanna Man. Like, there's no way it's a worse movie. It's so much better. Like, it's not perfect, but like, there's a reason why movies like that or Waiting or Half Baked ended up on Comedy Central, a channel with a predominantly male audience, but had a similar penchant for films of this niche, uh, of, of this kind of like specific comedy. And this one didn't play, even though it absolutely could and should have fit in that lineup. I know. And it's misogynoir coming uh-huh. to ruin the party again. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say why, but like, oh, if someone else says it. It's definitely misogynoir, but I feel kind of hopeful. Like, I, I think I have a shameless plug, too. I, I, I got to speak to Robert Townsend a couple months ago about um, Hollywood Shuffle, which is just classic, Mm -hmm. completely essential film. Um, And it was getting a Criterion release. And me being the dumbass that I am, I was like, so 
what do you think about BAPS getting on Criterion? (laughs) 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 Which is literally the stupidest thing ever. Like, I can't even, like, that's, like, a pipe dream for me. Like, I'd love to see that, like, unironically getting into the Criterion canon. And he was with it. (laughs) He was like, that'd be fun. I still love that movie. That movie got so much shit, but I stand by everything. I stand by putting Halle Berry in a wig and giving her gold teeth. And I think slowly but surely it's becoming more and more reclaimed, like, with just, like, like Megan the Stallion's existence, full stop, mm-hmm. is <laughs> single-handedly helping something like BAPS re-enter the conversation. So I'm hopeful. Yeah, and, like, speaking of Halle Berry, this is actually a thing that's, I think, interesting enough to bring up, is that Halle, ba- Halle-, Halle Berry's from my neck of the woods. Like, she's from the greater Cleveland area. She she graduated from the Cuyahoga County Community College. And <laughs> I do want to shout out that that college, it's Tri-C because it's, you know, Cuyahoga Community College, so Tri-C. Mm-hmm. And their mascot is the Triceratops. It's genius. Yep. Whoever I came up with that it. decision, give them a raise. <laughs> yep. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but Halle Berry is like, Cle- Clevelanders are very, very proud of their own. Um, but they're, I think they're especially proud whenever somebody manages to sort of get out of, of Cleveland. Like, there's people who are, like, local celebrities. Like, I'm going to say this, and nobody who's outside of the greater Northeast Ohio area knows who Michael Stanley is. But Michael Stanley was sort of a big deal in the 80s and then didn't leave. And now he is, like, a, a radio DJ. And that's kind of it for for old fogies who like to listen to Ted Nugent and Leonard Skinner. Um, that, that is not a political <laughs> statement on... <laughs> <laughs> Michael Stanley. Those are just the first ones that came to mind for me. Um, they're not a reflection of him as a person as far as I know. But Halle Berry was, when I first started going to Cleveland as like an 18, 19 year old, um, and most of the people I hung out with were uh, black trans women, drag queens, black women, because that's just who was at the LGBT center. Halle Berry was like this kind of beacon of hope of like, you can get out and you can become like a star and be a big deal. And oh. I don't know, I, I, I think I think that speaks to just the overall everything of what BAPS is. Yeah. I love Halle Berry. And I think- She's so good. <laughs> and that's just like my feelings coming out of my mouth. Um, part of me <laughs> thinks that like BAPS is like, one, it's overdue for the reclamation, but I feel like it could happen because you're right. Like the Meg- Megan the Stallion's existence, like if somebody were like Cardi B and Megan the Stallion are remaking BAPS, I would be like 100% yes. Like I get uh-huh. this. Um, but the other thing is that Halle Berry is kind of having a moment right now because she's been posting her like, you know, nude thirst traps online and is basically just like, if you oh? have a problem with me what? being hot, oh yeah, you've been missing out. This oh. is what happens when you stop using Twitter, <laughs> Harmony. You miss out on hot Halle Berry pics. Shit. Okay. Well, I know what I'm doing later. <laughs> but like, they're so beautiful. And she's also been like really combative with people who have an issue with her showing her body. And part of me is like, ooh, whenever celebrities do this, people start digging into the back catalog. And that mm-hmm. means people are going to start discovering BAPS. Honestly, all we need is some like TikToker to put like BAPS in three minute pieces on TikTok with like, subway runner or whatever the fuck that game is underneath it and suddenly this movie's gonna have a whole new audience uh-huh that's maybe what... that maybe that's gonna be me maybe i'll do that <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my cross to bear <laughs> i salute your service thank you but also she talks about baps a lot and 
I just love something that I really love about Hallie is that she's never been ashamed of anything that she's ever done. Yeah. Like even her shitty stuff, even Catwoman, even like Swordfish. She's like, yeah, I did it and I got a check. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now what? I, I mean, I respect anybody who's like, yeah, I like the car that that movie bought me. Like and Michael Caine with Jaws the <laughs> Revenge was like, oh, I like the house that movie got me. Like, that shit's great. <laughs> um, but like, speaking of Swordfish, like people always talk about like, oh, my God, Halle Berry's so hot in Swordfish. <laughs> but now people are mad that she's showing her body. It's like, oh, so you just like it when like you're a little voyeuristic. You don't like it when she has mm-hmm. control over it. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. They want to objectify her. They don't necessarily want to see her reclaim that. She's not allowed to be empowered by herself. She's not allowed to notice that she's hot. Yeah. Like only other people, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so funny. Gross. It's like, she was Miss Ohio USA. She fucking knows how hot she is. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't know how people are new to this. Uh, yeah, also, yeah, I just love this movie. Hot, hot ladies being hot ladies. I love a movie where hot ladies just get to be hot ladies. It's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always a fun time. <laughs> so I think that that sort of wraps things up for us on BAPS. So Harmony, the question remains. BAPS is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them tickets so they can go on their own? Listen, this movie's just fun. I have I had a lot of fun with this movie. Um, another scene we didn't bring up that I thought was super duper fun is when Manly has to go buy CDs. Oh my god! Yeah, that's great. And he keeps great. like trying to tap the guy, and he's like dancing away from him. <laughs> uh-huh. Just brilliant. When, when the guy when he fucking woo haws right in his face, and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> and he does it twice. Uh-huh. And every like the second time, he kind of like he does this like he like <laughs> he like veers back, but his face <laughs> never changes. Like his expression never changes. He's such an icon. Yeah, this this movie's just fun. I had a really good time with this movie, and especially not knowing like anything about it really aside from the trailer before going in. Like, I don't know. I'm I was going in open minded. That's what I always do with the show. But I was like, I'm here to have a good time. I like how it looks. I like our leads. That's all I'm asking for, and it more than delivered on what I wanted. So, yeah, everyone should watch Baps. It's wonderful. That's all I got. Hell yeah, BAPS officially added to the prom party. Love it. (laughs) So, Livy, thank you so much for joining us. You have been a delight. Thank you for bringing BAPS and giving us the space to talk about such an amazing movie. Where can people find you, what you do, if you want them to find you? (laughs) I'm off the grid. No. Um, (laughs) So I'm Livy Scott. That's L-Y-V-I-E-S-C-O-T-T on Twitter and TikTok. Just Livy on Letterboxd if you are like me and completely obsessed with logging every single film that you watch. Um, my serious professional writing and whatnot, I write reviews um, on Inverse and streaming recommendations, and I write news for Slash Film that can be found, you know, there, as well as on ScreenSpec and Blossom Magazine. Amazing. And friends, as always, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you could follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. Mind your business if you just happen to see me liking a lot of Halle Berry pictures in the future. <laughs> Avert your eyes. <laughs> or don't. Just like don't judge me. <laughs> And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band are you recommending this week inspired by your experience watching Babs? 
So this one was really fun because I, I, I had I had a band and I was like, um, I don't know if they're fully indie, but like I was kind of dancing around like, who should I shout out, whatever. And I was like, BJ, I just I just really want to like shout out Tank and the Bangas. Mm-hmm. But like they're not they're not indie like they were nominated for a Grammy for like best new artist a couple of years ago. So like they're they're kind of around. But they're also just like criminally underappreciated because they're so much fun and every single song they put out is good. So we're just going to do that. Beautiful. Yeah, we looked at their Spotify and what was the number? It was like only 300,000 listeners a month or something ridiculous. Yeah, and like none of their songs break like like most of their songs are like a million or under plays for as like how good and how they kind of are are, are big. Like they're su- they're sort of big. Like they they should be bigger. Um, but no, super duper fun, like a lot of modern influences in terms of beats, but also like neo soul, like old school funk, some hip hop, like, uh, like this big mesh of like genre blending that is really exciting. Um, the last album that they put out, uh, is Red Balloon and it came out last year. That's a good place to start. It's just every single song is like a different mood, but all like the same piece of like the same painting, like. Just, I, I'm a huge fan, and I think that everyone should probably give them a listen. I feel Amazing. I feel like them being under underrepresented is is a really good choice for Baps. So once again, that's Tank in the Bangas. Amazing. All right, friends. We will see you next week. Thank you again for listening, and as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.